Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth, in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name, study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen, indeed. So let's turn to the Megillah of Esther. The five Megillot, as it were. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kidshana b'intzavetzivanu al-mikra Megillah. We're going to look at the book of, of uh, did I say Esther? Yes. I'm sorry. The book of Ruth. We've done Esther already, right? Can you believe that you've already studied almost three Megillot already? We had Shir Hashrim. Y'all have already forgot about that. And then we had uh, Esther. And now we have Ruth. Baruch Hashem. All right, let's read uh, the story here as we're continuing this discussion. This is after Ruth has come and laid at his feet. He has said, I, uh, I want to marry you. He's singing that song, Living in a Booth, Living in a Sukkah. And he now it says, Boaz said, he went, to, he went to the gate, as it were, I should say. And uh, he sat down with the elders, which is, we pointed out last week, he sat down. We're going to review that in just a second. And the reason he sat down, because you're not allowed just to walk up to a group of elders and just sit down. You have to be invited to sit, right? It's a funny story about that from the service, but I'll, I won't tell you. Um, but anyway... You're supposed to be invited to sit, but the reason he came and sat is because he was the head of the Sanhedrin. So Ruth is about to marry the head of the Sanhedrin. And she is just a, a Moabitess, you know? So anyway, pick up the story in verse 5. Then Boaz said to the, to the kinsman redeemer, whose name is Tov. My dog is in this story because my dog's name is Tovi. So it says, the Boaz said, the day you buy the field from Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabite, wife of the deceased, to perpetuate the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So you're going to have another wife. You're going to have one wife. Now that you have the uh, Yibun, you have the other wife. But this other wife is a mitzvah wife. But nevertheless, you're going to have, have another wife. So he kind of throws that in there. He's like, you want to buy the land? The guy says, absolutely, yes. Oh, great. So you should, you know, it comes with another wife. <laughs> but wait, there's more, you know. <laughs> so he says, the Redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I peril my own inheritance. Take over my redemption responsibility on yourself, for I am unable to redeem it. The sages do not have a lot of good things to say about Tov. Because... First of all, his, the reason he said I can't redeem it is he says, I, I can't have another wife. That might disrupt the balance of my home, which is understandable. That I can understand. I can, yeah. Yes. <laughs> However, he says his reasoning, though he gives in, as, as a four, what he puts out there front is, I can't mess up my own inheritance. 
So he's not thinking about his brother, you know, and, and, and perpetuating uh, Maclon's inheritance or idea. He's thinking about himself. And then there's a backstory here that he's also concerned about. She's a Moabite. He doesn't even think. He, they, they consider him an Am Haaretz, that he doesn't really know Torah. He hasn't really spent time in Torah. By the way, the word mitzvah means to connect, right? To connect to Hashem. So the way in which we connect to Hashem is we study the Torah, which infers that we are, implies, infers, insinuates, a quote from Zakin Rayford, and that we are actually walking it out. So you're studying and walking it out because it's, some, it's rather difficult to walk something out you're not studying. Okay? So I just want to caution everybody because this happens to everybody. Listen, faith is, say it with me, faith is a marathon. Faith. It's a marathon, right. Yeah, and by the way, it's a marathon that never ends. So you keep running, you keep running, keep running, and guess what? Sometimes you're going uphill, and sometimes you're going downhill. Sometimes you're at the mountaintop, sometimes you're in the valley. Sometimes you're just all week long, maybe all month long, maybe half the year long. You're bringing down illumination and revelation, and everything you read is like, oh my gosh, Yeshua, the Mashiach is jumping out of you, sparks are flying, dancing around your camp. And there's sometimes when you read and you study Torah, and it's like eating dry bread. Not that it's dry bread, don't misunderstand me, but you feel like, I'm not getting anything out of this. I, I'm not getting any insights. I don't know, I'm just kind of reading. And so what happens in those moments? What happens when you're having a bad week or a bad day? You're in the valley. What do people do? They quit. And they quit right before the refreshing happens. They quit right before the breakthrough happens. Right before. And so I just want to tell you, just as a reminder, that if you stop studying and thereby stop, you know, being too observant, you will, that is the definition of disconnected. Because remember, mitzvah is to connect. So when you unplug a lamp, can you light it? Why? It's not connected. The lamp feels disconnected. Why? Because it's not plugged in to the source. That's why. Every time I felt disconnected in my life, it was because I wasn't plugged into the source. You know what the solution is? To do more. To study more. Right? To, when you see a fire, it's kind of going out. What do you do? You take a stick, you move the logs around. You blow on it. Right? You've got to do something to it. It's, you can't just look at it and go, it's going out, it's going out, it's going out. You've got to actually do something. Right? <laughs> just say it's going out, it's not going to fix it. But y'all know that already. All right. Boaz. So it says, the day you buy the field from Naomi, you have to buy Naomi. He says, and I can't do it. Take over my redemption responsibilities for yourself, for I am unable to redeem. Don't ever hand somebody else what you've been given to do. We say this all the time. There's people in this, in this world and that have talents. God gave them a talent, and instead of using it for the kingdom, they, 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 somebody else will do it. It's, it's the potluck mentality. God gave them the talents, but they, just, they don't want to do it for whatever reason, because maybe if they, they say, well, I'm very gifted in this particular area, 
But if I actually use my gift, I'll, maybe I won't do it so right. I'll be embarrassed. I'm a little shy. Or maybe I'll, I'll have to now, now get up and get there early, and I don't want that commitment. And, and God is saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Get you some. And God is saying, I'm sorry, I gave you that. Like, you're, it's on loan. And I don't know. There was this story. Y'all help me out. There was a story that Mashiach taught. Something about a guy having a talent and bearing it. Now, that didn't work out well. I mean, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time. But it didn't work out well. The one who took the talent that he was given, that was borrowed, and actually invested it and, and got more of a return, that, the master came back and said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your blessing, your luxury, your everything, right? The one who buried it, I have the talent, I have this gift, I use this. Yeah, where are you using it? You using it in the kingdom purpose? No. I'm using it to make a living or whatever. That's not going to work out well for us. I'm just saying. So Tov says, look, I have a responsibility to redeem. You realize, here's the, here's the rub. If Tov had redeemed Esther, he would be given the glory of being the grandfather of Mashiach. Ruth. <laughs> All for Esther's wedding. <laughs> yeah. Boy, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Rabbit Scene says, Ruth was there for such a time as this. Yeah. Armin, Armin. Okay. Ruth. Had he married Ruth, he would have been the, the grandfather of the Mashiach. This teaches us a value. We, see, we, it's easy to speed bump over stuff. But we've got to see the life lessons because Tove missed an opportunity. I've taught, one of my favorite drashes to teach is on this topic of why we don't say Mashiach's son of Saul. There's only one reason. Only one reason. And that's because Saul refused to obey God's Torah. And as a result, that's the only reason we say Mashiach bin David. We should be singing Eliyahu. We should be saying Mashiach bin Saul. But we're not. Why? Because of disobedience. What does that teach us? What lesson do we learn? If God chose David because he was obedient, and that's the only reason, then if we choose disobedience, will God choose us? I'm asking. The answer is no, of course not. Why? Because God does not give us a model to follow, and then when we don't follow it, say, that's okay. Here's the target. You're missing it all the time, but don't worry about it. Why would he give us a target to begin with? Okay? So... Tov missed out on a tremendous blessing because he gave away what he was called to do. Now you could say, well, ultimately Boaz was called, sure. But God knows all things. He sees the end from the beginning. Remember, he created time. So formerly this was done in Israel in case of redemption and exchange of transactions to validate all matters. One would draw off his shoe and give it to the other, and this was the process of ratification in Israel. So the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, 
and all that was Helon's and Mahlon's and from Naomi. And what is more, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Mahlon, as my wife, to perpetuate the name of the deceased on his inheritance, and that the name of the deceased not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. You are my witnesses today. Then all the peoples who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May Hashem make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and like Leah. We'll talk about that in a second. Both of whom built up the house of Israel. May you prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which Hashem will give you by his, this young woman. Wow. That is a lot of blessing right there. All because he was willing to redeem. Now, I want to I touch back on something here. Because Boaz sits at the gate. He sat down at the gate, and God actually caused the Redeemer to come forth. The sages say that had the Redeemer, Tov, been at the other end of the world... God would have orchestrated that he would happen to walk by that day. And the reason is, is because once a righteous person gives his word, God will make an effort to help that righteous person keep his word. Naomi said, unless the, he settles the matter today, Rav Huna said in the name of Rav Shmuel bar Yitzhak, the yes of the righteous is yes, and their no is no. Which is another life lesson for us, that we have to be people who are dependable. Things happen from time to time. You make an arrangement, and an emergency happens, and you can't, you can't make it, right? But that should not be our norm. That should be the big exception, like, wow, that never happens. But God forbid we should be people that say we're going to be there or we will do this or you can count on us to be to help in that project or at that event and you don't want to be that person who the people you're talking to are judging you favorably but in their mind based on your behavior they're saying, "Well, okay, great, praise God." And but there's they know there's probably a 10% chance you'll be there. That's not righteousness. And Boaz's word was I am going to settle this today. And so he set out first light. He went to the gate to settle it that day. And the sages say that he, God caused Tov to walk by. Can you imagine? He sits down because he knows who he's looking for, but he's also got to get with the elders. And he sits down. The elders start showing up because there's the head of the Sanhedrin. And all of a sudden, there's Tov. Hey, Tov, 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 Tov. Come here. And the sages say, had Tov been on the other side of the world, God would have made him walk by that day just to help. I want to point out that there is a halakha talking about Boaz, because Boaz is obviously in this story representing the Redeemer, representing the Mashiach. There is a halakha that no one is allowed to sit in the temple except for the king of Israel. Why? Because the king of Israel represents Hashem. As the sages have said, the king of Israel is more or less a manifestation of Shem on the earth. Ooh. God can't manifest sick when he does. He's the rep that's the, by the way, that's in Ju Judaism right there. 
And the temple is a super sacred space. You know, we're not allowed to mix linen and wool together, but it's mixed in the temple. The question becomes, why? Well, we don't know exactly why, except that when you're in the temple, there's such kedusha there, there's such holiness there, that those types of things aren't a problem. But outside the realm, you have to keep those things separated. Incidentally, you can say, okay, separation, but does that apply to meat and dairy? No, there was no dairy offerings in the temple, so that's on a different level. But anyway, um, so you have this situation where no one was allowed to sit in the temple to include the high priest. Why? Because the temple was a representation of Shemayim on the earth, and in Shemayim, no one, no angel is allowed to sit. The only one allowed to sit in heaven is God. Y'all see where this is going, right? So it says in several places in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, after three days they found him, that is Yeshua, in the temple, sitting in the center of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. A little boy, 12 years, actually, he's a man now because he's had his bar mitzvah. He shows up and he's sitting down with the elders in the temple and nobody tells him to get up. Nobody says, son, stand up. You can't sit here in the temple. Why? Because he's of the line of David and they know it. It's codified in the Sanhedrin, by the way. Somebody, some anti-missionaries one time said, do we even know that Yeshua uh, exists? And I'd say, read the Talmud. <laughs> John chapter 8, verse 2 says, At dawn he came again into the temple. All the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Nobody told him to get up. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury and began watching how the people were putting their money in the offering box and many, repeat, many people were, were putting in their money. Matthew chapter 26, verse 55, at, the, at that hour Yeshua said to the crowds, how you come out with swords and clubs to capture me as you would somebody who's a revolutionary. Every day I sat in the temple and you did not seize me. Now, in the gospel of the book of uh, Matthew, in chapter 26, here in verse um, 62, Yeshua is having his kangaroo court trial at night, which is against the law. Not allowed to have a trial at night. What does that tell you about this court? It's all corrupt from the get-go. So everything that they say, people say today, well, he was found not to be the Mashiach. By who? He never had a proper trial. Can't have a trial at night. So anytime somebody says they found him not to be the Mashiach, all of that's got to be thrown out. That's a, that's a mistrial. From the very fact that you had a night court, on, on that alone means that he was not properly tested. So anyway, Yeshua's hearing all these false allegations. He doesn't say a thing. The high priest rose up and said to him, Will you not answer us at all? What are these men testifying against you? Yeshua kept silent. The high priest said to him, I am making you swear by the living God to tell us if you are the Mashiach, the Son of God. Now, this is called the oath of swearing. And so at that point, because it's Torah, 
right? Oral Torah, by the way. The Mashiach's got to answer. Does he follow the oral Torah? Well, he says he answered. If he doesn't follow the oral Torah, he would just kept silent. The... Yeshua said to him, you have said it, and I say to you from now on, now see, that they're going to get real mad in a second, and people don't even realize why they got mad. Because you didn't know that it, I'm not saying you didn't know, but people don't know that only the king can sit in the temple and only God can sit in heaven. He says, you've said it. And I say to you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting to the right to the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes. Why did he tear his clothes when he said that? Because you think about it. At what point did he say he was... And he, he, he's saying he's the Mashiach, okay. That's not a crime in Israel, by the way. Did you know that? Did you know it's not a crime to claim you're the Messiah? No, that's not blasphemy. If it says right here, he, the high priest said he is a blasphemer. Why? If I say I'm the Mashiach, how, all you got to do is test me. And either I'm a false Messiah or I'm not. And if I'm a false Messiah, you just denounce me. You just don't kill me. You just denounce me. Right? How do we know that? Because today we've got, let me, let's count them. Nachman is a Messiah in Israel. Schneerson is a Messiah in Israel. Believe it or not, Shabbatai Zavi is still believed to be a Messiah in Israel. There's, it's, it's still out there. By the way, we just celebrated Lagba Omer, right? Rabbi Akiva went to his death believing that Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach even though he died in battle. He never renounced him. You won't find a source anywhere that Rabbi Akiva renounced Bar Kokhba. You know why? Because the Messiah is supposed to come and die for the sins of Israel. And so he just figured he died and so he'll, he'll raise the life. And yet we venerate to Rabbi Akiva as one of the greatest rabbis who's ever lived and yet he believed in the false Messiah and nobody says anything about his writings. So when somebody says to you, you can't believe in Yeshua because he's a false messiah, we'll say, well, I don't believe that, but do you, do you, what do you think about Rabbi Akiva? Well, he's a great rabbi. You know, he believed in a false messiah too, so he's right here next to me, actually. Because Bar Kokhba was a false messiah. He never renounced him. I asked an orthodox rabbi, a very, very learned orthodox rabbi one time, because I, I said, hey, are there any sources? Help me out here. Any sources? Anyway, he said, no, there's not. All right. So we're not, we don't banish people for claiming to be a Messiah. We just tell them, hey, you know, they're, you're not. Right? So the question becomes, why did they call him a blasphemer and say he's deserving of death? Because he said, you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of power. He just made himself divine on the level of the one who sits on the throne. And that's why they said, can you believe this? <laughs> they were from New York. So only the Mashiach. See, I want you to see things like this because you've got to read the words of Scripture slowly. Boaz 
when, when Tob was walking by, Boaz called out to him and said, turn aside. And the sages point out that this is an unusual expression. The word is surah. And this expression is used only one other time. It's used when Lot, when the angels go to find Lot, and it appears as if they're going to walk past, and he says, hey, Sarah, turn aside to your servant. So the sages are pointing out that this episode of, um, of, of Boaz seeing Tov walk by is reminiscent of Lot, and it harkens back to God finding that holy spark. Now, there's so much I want to say about this passage. I'm trying to, trying to kind of consolidate it here. I want to say to, to chapter, um, where is this? Chapter 4, verse 2. It says, He then took ten of the elders of the city. It says, Rav Eliezer ben Rav Yose said, From here we learn that the blessing of the bridegroom, that is a wedding ceremony, requires a minion, a quorum of ten. Rabbi Yudin ben Bazi said, Not only the marriage of a bachelor to a maiden, but even the marriage of a widower to a widow. Basically what was going on here is that the, the halakha of marriage as we know it today comes from the story of Ruth. The bridegroom going to his canopy, the ten men, comes from the story of the Ruth. Now Ruth, Ruth is Ruth, right? Turn backward, it's Tur, which is Dove. So we have Ruth, who at this moment is representing that, that divine spirit of the relationship. We have Boaz, who's the Redeemer. Ruth is more or less representing the, the Shekinah of the relationship because when a man and woman get together, the man represents like the Torah, the Torah scroll, and the woman represents the Holy Spirit in the, in the marriage, the Shekinah. That's why men are advised, you know, listen to your wife. When she says something, don't just dismiss it. But listen, because Hashem speaks through her, right? And the men said, amen. amen. All right. And so you have, I want you to see a picture here, because in the Gospels, in four different places, Matthew 3.16, Mark 1.10, Luke 3.22, and John 1.32. Okay, when you have the Gospels, not everything appears in all the Gospels, Right? But there is something that appears in all four Gospels. Therefore, it must be uniquely important. And that is, it's the only place in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove. Four times in all four Gospels. And so the question becomes, why? And the answer I'm going to provide you is Ruth. Because when... The writers of the gospel are talking about the Shekinah falling upon the Mashiach. They want to draw our attention back to the tour, back to Ruth. They want to take us back and say, this is the Mashiach spoken of that would come ultimately from Ruth. And Barakot 53b, Israel is likened to a dove. And the sages say that Mashiach is like all of Israel because 
All the souls of Israel, that is, those who are being redeemed, are in Mashiach. Barakat 53b also says, the Torah is a dove. Barakot 3a says the bat kol, that is the holy voice that we hear from heaven, that voice that says, this is my son, that is the bat kol they were hearing. That is a very common thing that happened throughout Jewish literature. In Barakot 3a, it says the bat kol of heaven sounds like a dove cooing. That's what the bat kol sounds like. It sounds like a, a dove cooing. So we read this in the, in the Gospels. We're, we're seeing here that the, the writers are trying to bring us back to this understanding that Ruth is the one, that, the, that this one rather is the one who was supposed to come from Ruth. Now, real quickly, I just have a minute or two left here. There is a statement in this... Um, and I believe it is here in Mayan Loez. Because they point out that when we have Ruth uh, receiving the blessing, uh, it says, um, in talking about the Redeemer, I says, I cannot redeem for myself, lest I ruin my inheritance. It says, his fears, it later turns out, were justified. Because he was saying, she's a Moabitess, and somebody's going to come along, and they're not going to understand that you can marry a Moabitess. Why? Because the Torah says you're not allowed to marry a Moabite. Which, if you are somebody, and listen to me carefully, if you're here in the room or you're watching online, if you're somebody who does not believe, or totally rejects the validity of Torah law, and yet you claim to be a believer in Messiah Yeshua, you have a very distinct an insurmountable problem. Because if you are sola scriptura and you do not believe in the validity of oral Torah, and if you do even worse, you say that the Mashiach was against the traditions of men, then you are at that very moment nullifying Yeshua as the Mashiach. Hasvet Shalom. Why? Because the Torah says you cannot marry a Moabite, which means that Boaz could not have married Ruth and therefore, since he did, whatever child they had would not be a Jewish child, which means an impossibility to have the Mashiach come from a non-Jew. Which is why all these theories that people have about end times, the Jews are going to be deceived because the, the Mashiach will come from Rome, the Mashiach will come from Tehran, the Mashiach will come from whatever, and the Jews will build a temple and they'll be confused. No, we won't, because we don't look to Gentiles for the Mashiach. Conversely, some people say when the Mashiach comes, everybody's going to be happy about it. Are they? <laughs> when the Mashiach comes, let's say hypothetically. We know this isn't true, but this is for hypothetical purposes. Let's say the Mashiach comes and it's Rabbi Nachman. I mean, I mean Rabbi uh, Schneerson from Chabad. The Nachman's going to be happy about that? They spent their whole life living a lie? And they're going to go, well, yes, I was wrong, Yes. No, I'll tell you how it's going to play out. We already saw it play out. When Mashiach showed up and said, I'm Mashiach, everybody who wanted somebody else was upset. <laughs> I 
By the way, you say, oh, that's just your opinion, Rabbi. No, it's not. The, the, actually, the, the Midrash says that when Mashiach shows up, everybody's going to hate him. It's not what you think. We even had, I wish we could find, I know we have it somewhere, Prep Day has it somewhere, that video of the uh, Breslev rabbi saying that when Mashiach comes, he's not going to be anything like we expect. So here's the thing, just thinking logically here. How can we say that Yeshua isn't the Messiah when we know that the Messiah we're looking for is not going to be who we're looking for? Think it through. How can you say that guy over there is definitely not the guy when I already know that what I think the guy's going to be, I'm going to be wrong about him. Y'all caught it, right? Y'all caught it? I love y'all. I love the way y'all think. Because you're already admitting that you're wrong about the guy, so how can you say that's not the guy? You are automatically wrong. Let's find that. Let's bring prep day. Bring that up. It says here, his fears were justified... As already noted, the Talmud relates that when King Saul investigated the lineage of the young shepherd David to ascertain whether he was of royal stock in 1 Samuel 17:58, Doag, the Edomite, head of the Sanhedrin, advisor to the king, stepped forward and said, instead of asking whether or not he's worthy of kingship, ask whether or not he's even a Jew. Now here's the reality. This is what we've got to see. We've got two messiahs, right? Messiah ben David and Messiah ben Yosef. Who came first? Yosef. All right? Yosef was rejected by all his brothers and his father. Is there any commonality there to David? Yes. David was rejected by all his brothers and his father. So when Mashiach shows up and he's rejected by all his brothers and his fathers and, you know, everybody, his own family, we shouldn't be surprised because the pattern has already been written. The pattern has already been written. Now, one final thing. Here we go. You ready? This is my second closing. <laughs> I'm debating on whether I should... No. I'm not, the word of the righteous is yes. It says, the elders are giving this blessing, okay? This is a, a shout out to all the Lepidniks out there. This is an encouragement to all of us. It says, the elders and the people assured Boaz that his new wife was like Rachel and Leah. I want you to hear this. This new wife of yours is like Rachel and Leah. It says in Ma'am Loez, they too came from idolatrous homes, which they abandoned to cleave to God. You know, there's people that come to this walk and they don't come from Jewish homes. And there's other people who come from Jewish homes, but their Jewish home was a Jewish home in name only. There was no observance there. In either case, it's idolatry. And you, one wonders, maybe I came to this late in life, 20, 30, 40, 60, 50, 60, 70. The answer is, Ruth was elevated to the status of Rachel and Leah. Why? Because Rachel and Leah, who gave birth to the tribes of Israel also were converts. Did y'all just catch that? All 12 tribes came from converts. So it says, but the merit, they said, of Ruth surpasses 
Rachel and Leah. This is where you come in. Because in the case of Rachel and Leah, Jacob went to find them. Whereas Ruth left her home in search of the Redeemer. Many people in this room left your home, so to speak, metaphorically, because you were looking for something that was missing and you didn't even know what you were looking for. Nobody came to find you. You came to find him. It says the elders mentioned Rachel before Leah, for just as Rachel had been barren and was later granted conception, so too Ruth had been barren during her 10-year marriage to Maclone. In fact, I would point out that if you look at the pattern of redemption, every single conception that had to do with the lineage of redemption was miraculous. Sarah, her conception uh, for Isaac was, was miraculous. Rachel was also barren, and she gave birth to Joseph, miraculous. Rebecca also was barren, and she cried out to her husband to do something about it. He said, what can I do about it? As we talk about a miraculous conception of the Messiah, people act surprised. Why? Everything has been right. Moses' conception was miraculous. And finally, it says it's noteworthy that the assembled Judeans there, who were descendants of Leah, acknowledged Rachel to have been the mainstay of Jacob's home. And it says that because people made fun of Rachel because she was barren, God said that from now on, all of Israel will be known by Rachel's name. But why was it, aside from that, that Rachel had to come first And when they said, may she be like Rachel and Leah? And the answer is, is because the one who had to come first came from Rachel, Messiah ben Yosef, and the one who would come second came from Leah, Messiah, and David. But what do we know? What do we know?